Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, today we have with us on the podcast a, I'm not going to say divisive, um, but a a woman who's been at the center of some generational conflict recently, Erica Dewan, award-winning keynote speaker and author. Her new book, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance, is out now. Erica, thank you for bravely coming on the show. (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to be here, Eliza. So first of all, I'm going to say what everybody's thinking. Why'd you do it? Why'd you come up with a name that hurts all of our feelings for our, for our micro generation? I recently published a new book, as you know, Eliza, uh, called Digital Body Language. And it was based on years of research studying the digital communication differences across generations. And one of the things that I found in my research was that the difference within micro generations were impossible to ignore. While a younger millennial would hate a voicemail, an elder millennial um, would be someone that would be okay with it because they remember the world of landlines and punch cards. And one of the things I, I decided to do was write a piece on Medium, as you know, where I defined what's called the geriatric millennial. One thing I think it's, is, that is important is I actually didn't coin this term. Uh, the first two lines of my Medium piece was when I first heard the term that a friend, when a friend used it, I thought it was a sarcastic oxymoron as well. I read that article and my first thought when you said that, and I'm just going to be honest because we're friends now, my first thought was, she's lying. She's never heard it because I've never heard it. I've never heard this term. She said that just for the article. Where did you hear that? You know, I, I did hear it from a girlfriend and so I can't even take the full credit from it. But one of the things that I think has been so powerful about the dialogue as a result of this is both those that have messaged me and said, I feel seen. There are hundreds of people that now have geriatric millennial in their Twitter and Instagram profiles. I'm not kidding. Check it out. And then others that were completely offended. And I think what is important about this is oftentimes we think of being old as being out of date. But in this context, I think for so many years, millennials were seen as the young entitled kids. But what I was trying to showcase in my article was that 
we actually have a lot of wisdom we can bring to this time. We understand analog and digital body language. And that was really the goal of the piece, not sure. to create a firestorm right. from dialogue fighting about a label. I, I, and I can respect that because I remember when I first heard it, because people started just bombarding me as if I had to like defend elder millennial. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it encapsulates it. And then I was like, well, I wonder if she, you know, because in my mind you would coin the term, this is prior to reading the article and just obviously being an internet person, just dealing with the, the, uh, the fallback, fallback, dealing with the fallout of all of it. So I looked up geriatric. Most people probably didn't read the article. They just read the Twitter posts as well. Absolutely. And so I was like, well, let me look up geriatric just in case there's this hidden definition. But relating to old people, especially with regard to their health care, an old person receiving special care. And I was like, okay, there's no alt definition. And I'm 38. And, you know, I just in dealing with like children and stuff, they're like, oh, it's a geriatric pregnancy. And so I think we're, especially as women, extra sensitive because you're old if you're over 21. And so I think that was triggering for people, but it's not your fault. <laughs> and in many ways, you know, Eliza, I'm 36. I had a geriatric pregnancy. I'm right. lucky. I became a mom this way. Uh, you know, I had my son last year at 35. Congratulations. I, I, in many ways, uh, I never would have expected the type of reaction it created. What I'm excited about is it almost reactivated a global conversation that you started years ago, Eliza, on the elder millennial. And my belief is whatever we want to call it, elder, Oregon Trail, Zenial, geriatric, let's just focus on what is unique in the heart of the argument, that it's wrong to see an entire generation as 20 years difference as being the same. And let's actually think about the strengths and the differences, especially as -hmm. the world has changed so much in the last year. I, I absolutely hear you on that. And I had never heard the term micro-generation or micro-generation uh, prior to reading your article. And I had always, it's funny you said that because I'd always felt that there were less of people my particular age, not age range, but like 83 in particular. I always felt like we were a tiny year. And so I love that term. And I, as I was reading your articles, you know, I do think as we get older, there is this tendency to write people off. And I know we're all starting to feel old, especially as Gen Z starts to become more adults and they start to enter into the workforce. And you make a really great point in your article, which is we are the most equipped to straddle, you know, analog and digital. We are the we are the last generation that remembers not having the internet and we are the most adept. And something that I really found interesting, and we're going to get into the questions was how, because you brought up, answering the phone in your home and how you were taught to answer it a certain way and how a lot of younger people, not everyone, they're weird. They're almost inept when it comes to phone etiquette and things that we take for granted just being older. Remember, we used to memorize our home phone number. Like who memorizes phone numbers anymore? I don't know my husband's number. If there's an emergency, I'm screwed. Yeah, exactly. Me too. And, and, and so if we think about just the amount of difference that has come in the last 20 years and those entering the workforce are seeped with digital body language in a way that we can be those fluid translators for those that I call are the digital immigrants. Let's call mm. it them that yeah. really are struggling, that don't know when to send a Slack message versus another reply all email or when to not leave a voicemail and actually just text. The answer is never leave a voicemail. I don't want to hear it, but yes. That's right. and, <laughs> and especially for digital natives, don't call out of the blue. Uh, they hate it. They like scheduled calls. That's so funny. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
it happened to me. I didn't think it would, but it happened to me. I had a nasty bout of postpartum depression. Now, there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about what you're dealing with, and there's nothing to be ashamed about in talking about it with someone. I definitely saw a therapist these last couple weeks because, you know, I spend my time giving advice to others, but I could use a little advice myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. I'll tell you what, when you're already stressed or anxious, the last thing you want to do is battle traffic and sit in a waiting room and get your parking validated. I'm sorry, is that just an LA thing? You don't need to add all that. You can just sit in the comfort of your own home or a chair you like outside and you can talk to someone from BetterHelp. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists at any time. No additional charge and it doesn't hurt their feelings. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash Eliza today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Eliza. I'm busy and this time of year gets even busier. I've had my baby. I'm back to work. I'm at meetings. I'm on tour. I'm running around and I don't always have time to sit down for a meal with my family. Sometimes I get home from set so late and I just need to eat something nutritious and go to bed. And that's why I like Factors fresh, never frozen meals because they're dietitian approved and they're ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy I am, and I'm busy, I always have time to get a nutritious, great tasting meal. Factor has over 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week. So I never get bored. I'm trying to do less meat in general and they have wonderful vegan and veggie options. I just made a vegan mushroom marsala and I made an onion risotto. Just because you're eating vegetarian doesn't mean you can't eat deliciously. It had roasted garlic green beans. It was scrumptious. Head to factormeals.com slash Eliza50 and use code Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code Eliza50 at factormeals.com slash Eliza50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Well, it's finally happening. The weather is finally getting warmer. So it's time to say goodbye to the jackets and cozy sweaters we've been hibernating in all winter. And it's time to say hello, bonjour, to shorts and t-shirts. And if you've been wanting to update your wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, Quince is for you. I talk about Quince a lot because I really believe in a sustainable capsule wardrobe. And there's no reason you can't have a sustainable, timeless wardrobe for every season. And Quince has got you covered with premium linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable, silk tops, hello. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Dressing well shouldn't break the bank. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. Look well. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash Eliza for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Eliza. So we're going to get to the questions. Dax is a name says, hi, Erica. I really enjoyed reading the digital communications crisis. I would love to know how that study came about. Also, was there anything that surprised you while collecting this data? Now I'm off to buy your book. I recently ran a study with Quester and we interviewed over 2000 American office workers just in the past three months. We focused on what were their top challenges in digital communication. And we found a few interesting statistics This study found that on average, each employee was wasting up to four hours per week on poor, unclear, or confusing digital communications. Four hours, Eliza, that is ridiculous. In a 40-hour work week, it's one-tenth of our time. 
The study also found that those that have the highest digital anxiety are Gen Z digital natives and parents of young children, which can tend to be elder, jury, zenial, or Trail millennials. And what I think is so important about the study, it's called the digital communications crisis, is that we have to realize that while the pandemic has had major impacts on anxiety, there's a whole nother level of challenges we're facing because we don't have physical body language anymore. Right. We have to build the skills of bringing back nuance, emotional connection, even from a screen. In your article, you know, you talk about how geriatric millennials are most, are well-equipped and most adept at reading the subtext of um, a text message, or I don't know if you say of like an emoji, but just of a text message. And I think I'm great at that. I believe there's, and I even wrote about this in my book, like there are specific punctuations, like an ellipses means you're like a little annoyed. It's not like you're listing off stuff. And when people, so much gets lost in a text, like people come off as angry and there almost should be a course in that. And I think that comes down to really understanding human behavior and, and, and digital comprehension. And that's not something that everyone has. That's right. It's not, uh, you know, for a digital native, a period at the end of a text is angry or passive aggressive for Mm -hmm. what I'll call the digital adapter, like the digital immigrants uh, who really have lived a life solely analog and can't wait right. to get back to the office. They just think they're using good grammar. Another example is all caps. Uh, if we get an all caps text message from someone saying we need to talk uh, for, <laughs> for some, it feels like shouting for others. Right. It feels like excitement for others. It feels like urgency. And Eliza, if you're my 75 year old father, it's because he doesn't know how to uncaps. His it's text cap. Yeah, it's absolutely so, true. So remembering that we're not all the same, that some of us are seeped in understanding these conventions. But if you're working with someone who may be a bit older, don't assume negative intent. If they use those ellipses, they may be trying to be cool and having a continuation of a conversation, not showing passive aggressiveness. Oh, absolutely. It is, especially when you start dating, like it is the number one thing I think that throws someone off if they can't text correctly. My biggest pet peeve, and I don't know if this bothers you, At this age, at this time, most of us have phones. We get it. The excuse of like, oh, I'm just really bad over text. It's like, "Mm, you're 32. No, you're not. Like you're an asshole. Respond. But at the same time, not only do we have to be good at text, but we have to stop serial texters. I don't know about you. And maybe it's because I'm a elder, jeery, whatever you want to call it, millennial. (laughs) I, I like texting. But I also am not afraid of just pick up the damn phone to solve a problem if it's complex. Like, stop texting me if we actually need to talk it out. If we actually need to talk it out. Yeah, I hear you. And it's knowing the difference that I think we have an opportunity in our micro generation to help navigate for others. And I'm not saying others aren't good at it, but, uh, but we remember and can acknowledge the importance of both. Absolutely. I wonder what that, I mean, you're not a psychiatrist or anything, but the anxiety around speaking to someone, I always hear Gen Z people, like they're afraid of the phone. And I have that confrontation. And I wonder if that's just lack of exposure to that because it is so digital. Or do you have any insight to what that is about? 
a lot of the anxiety uh, specifically comes from the fact that they have no experience in it. They don't right. know a world with landlines uh, where you had to memorize phone numbers, where you even had to take messages. Uh, you may remember in my med- original Medium article on geriatric mm-hmm. millennials, I cited a story where I had a team member who was taking phone call messages for me while I was out with a client. And uh, he said, Bob called. And I said, which Bob? Like right. what company? Which Bob from Minnesota, thing? which Bob? <laughs> And I had to call two Bobs to figure out who called. Like, and and one of the the eye opening things of that story was just we have to not assume that everyone is the same. Some didn't grow up with this. Some don't know when to just send a Slack message versus a really long prose email. <laughs> and, right. And again, I think it's about being that translator or that bridge builder. And finding like what works for you. It's funny that you say that because when I think of the stereotypical bad assistant in any movie, this is even prior to this conversation. Even in the 80s, there's the ditzy assistant that's like, Bob called. And you're like, which Bob? I think that comes down to being capable at your job. And it's less about (laughs) digital versus analog. But it also comes down to effort. And I think the younger generation is always painted as lazy which is obviously fully insane because I remember not long ago, elder millennials, millennials being called lazy. And you're like, okay, clearly that's not. And now, you know, we're geriatric, we're called out of date, but that's actually not true. I'm I'm trying to create a positive light around the fact that we have something unique to bring. Do you think the, like, there's like a lady doth protest too much part of it. Like, do you think the more we scream from the rooftops, like we're still young and relevant, the more a younger generation is like, sure you are. Nice try. You you don't even know how to use TikTok seriously. Um, And I'm like, I I was reading a book. Mm -hmm. Right, right. We're like reading the manual, checking the settings, uh, you know, trying to copy the 22 year olds using it Um, or 15 year olds, let's be honest. Um, and, And so at the end of the day, I think what I saw with the reaction with the piece is people were doing what they do best on the internet, fighting a label. And I'm a big fan of fighting labels too. I hated the millennial label. I, I grew up as like the Indian kid. I never was entitled. I, if I right. want to be on a science test, I couldn't go on a sleepover for a year. Like, let's oh be Oh my honest. God. <laughs> right. So, so in many ways, I think in today's world, what we have an opportunity to do is to see what unites us, what can bring us together, but uh, try to also acknowledge how we're different. And that that's really the purpose of the discussion. Well, I think people are really bad at that. And I totally understand. I think whoever you are, nobody wants to be lumped in, especially if it's negative, but even, you know, being Indian, you don't want to be seen as like just a nerdy brain. You're like, yeah. I'm also all these other things. That being said, you did go to Harvard. So your parents did something right. I studied way too much. Let's be honest. <laughs> Sam underscore Sid underscore cats at play. Hello all, I'm 35. So I guess I'm a geriatric millennial. Is 35 a geriatric millennial? Does she hit the cutoff? That's right, 30, 30. They they are just about hitting the cutoff. You're right there. Um, A young geriatric millennial. I'm a hiring manager and I lost about half my staff due to COVID. And like so many businesses, we're having struggles finding staff. With every step of the hiring process online, I'm not getting the gut feeling I used to get with face-to-face interviews. When once, if a candidate walked in with a resume, I could interview them on the spot. Now I have to send them to a website. Hopefully they follow through. Hopefully they check their email to set up the phone or Zoom. It's so impersonal and against what our company's all about. How do I work with reports based on questionnaires and tests instead of cover letters and resumes? Well, we all know research shows that even pre-pandemic, 
the ways that we were interviewing were already biased. Uh, whether it's cover letters or resumes, uh, we tend to judge people based on their names and their backgrounds on paper. And even in a face-to-face -face setting, we tend to be biased on traditional body language in interviewing. I actually think that in today's world, in digital interviewing, we can be more creative and inclusive than we ever were in the past. In fact, some of my clients are reimagining digital interviewing. Instead of just having a one-on-one -on -one interview behind a screen, they're actually having interviewees do like virtual case studies where they come on with other virtual interviewees to actually do a case together. And instead of just asking them, why do you want this job? And what are your strengths and weaknesses? They're asking a team of people who would like this job to work together, creating a slide deck or actually putting something together on a Zoom call and watching and studying how people collaborate. They don't wanna just see the person take up all the reins. They wanna see who's actually building the deck, who's summarizing other ideas, who's actually being collaborative. And I think that if we can create ways for people to show and actually practice this versus just telling people on a screen in a choreographed way why they want the job, we'll actually- right better moving forward than we ever were in the past. So you're observing them like lab rats. You're observing them yes. for the interview. Yeah. Allison, the traveling wino. How does Erica suggest keeping a connection to our work team when we're staying remote for the foreseeable future? Some people work in other places across the country too, which makes me worry that they will feel left out when we do get to go into the office. Thoughts, Erica? it is hard to build trust from behind a screen. And this isn't like one or two months in. We're, we're 15, 16 months in, and we mm. know that hybrid work is here to stay. So a couple of tips. The first is you need to recreate virtual water cooler moments. Remember those drive-by chit chats, those lunch meetings, the happy hour? Even though it's hard, actually creating these simple, candid moments in virtual settings is important. Whether it's at the beginning of a meeting, having everyone share a win of the week, a challenge, having actually a virtual cocktail hour, sending uh, you know your team drinks, non-alcoholic or alcoholic, and having those quick moments. Uh, another simple practice I've seen is virtual lunch breaks where team members will actually see it as appropriate. You can eat on Zoom. I feel like no one drinks water or eats on Zoom, and we all did that in person. I've been and doing that helpful. this whole time. It's like of dripping all over have. my questions. <laughs> yeah. But but uh, in many ways, I think we need to bring that back. We need to bring back the virtual cafeteria. And when we do that, we're actually more inclusive of those that weren't just in the office. We're inclusive of everyone anywhere. And that's going to make us better at building trust, no matter the distance. I mean, I don't have a corporate job. And the majority of these questions, like it would never occur to me not to hork down a whole salad on a call. But that's because I'm talent. Um, but as you're saying this, I'm cringing because I'm like, oh no, like more mandatory screen time. Now I've got to sit in front of a computer and have my leisurely time. I, and I wonder if it's because of the pandemic, we're all just so tired of trying to exist on these screens. We're so damn tired. And yeah. I am a big believer of let's stop it. Like let's bring some damn clarity and sanity back to work. You know, in my new book, Digital Body Language, Eliza, I talk about how we need to cut meetings. We need to shorten meetings. We need to know when to cancel meetings altogether. We've kind of taken all of our insecurities um, from a face-to-face -face setting and put them into one more Zoom meeting after another. Right. Uh, set some rules with your team. Like, you know, every week, identify which meetings can be cut, shortened, or changed. For example, 30 or 60-minute meetings 
maybe are really like 15 minute or mm-hmm. 45 minute meetings. I, I know a leader who bans one-on-one meetings. He has a virtual office hours every week for one hour, Wednesday, 10 to 11. And he says, come on the Zoom. It's like a chit chat, like a drive-by chat and right. ask me questions. And people don't waste time booking 30 minutes on his calendar for five minute questions. Right. And, and again, it avoids like the 1500 emails we get that are right. just stupid back-to-back emails versus a quick dialogue. Those are just simple examples. I think we need to stop thinking that video calls is the answer, especially if you're hosting the meeting and you're presenting the entire time. Set a rule. You don't need to be on on video. You only need to be on video for the final 10 minutes because that's when we're actually going to talk because Zoom fatigue is real. Zoom fatigue is real. I'm thinking of, and I like a team leader, a woman I know who works in production and she says, I have so many back-to-back Zooms. I If I stop to pee, then I'm late for the next one and it ruins my day. And I wonder if this has to do with employers trying, like feeling like they're losing control and trying to get the most out of their employees since nobody is in the office. And let's be honest, you weren't spending 10 straight hours working in the office, but people are like, well, if you're at home, we got to make sure that you're working. And it feels, even though Americans are overworked, it feels weirdly un-American to regulate people's time like that. I feel like sometimes I'm having urinary problems because it is so hard to like find a bathroom break in our digital world that we're living in. And I think, Eliza, what you're sharing is the the division between what I'll call the digital adapters who were who really freaked out 14 months ago. How will my people work if they're not face to face? I don't trust them. We need to have meeting after meeting after meeting on video. And the digital natives are like, cool, I got this. I'll see you on Slack. Uh, don't call me, don't video call me, just text me in our IM. Right. And I think that what we've seen is this divide is not going away. As we move mm. back to whatever hybrid standard there's going to be, what I think is challenging is there are CEOs that are saying flexible work is here to stay. But if your direct boss is a FaceTime person, you're mm-hmm. going to get judged if you are not in the office all the time. And, and right. I think- that's where we are about to hit a big, a big mess around this. And it's not generational only. It really is this, these adapter versus native styles. And so we, we got to come to terms around this and have real conversations. Maylarded asks, will there be a, just speaking of bosses monitoring people, will there be a compromise between remote workers and the management when it comes to monitoring software and the level of spying on remote employees? Ooh, big brother. Big Brother is for real. It's out there, uh, you know, in many ways. It's just more pronounced in a digital world. Uh, If your corporation runs your Zoom account, uh, they can probably track those meetings. If you are using an email from a workplace, they can read your emails uh, or they can at least track who you're emailing. And and again, I don't think every company is spying on us uh, as carefully. I think they have a lot of other things to do. But at the end of the day, I think what everyone needs to make sure of is anything you write, anything that you send can be forwarded, can be screenshotted, can mm-hmm. end up in a reply all chain. So make sure to be careful in your messages. Don't send dumb messages. Be conscious of what you're sending online and you will avoid disasters. Uh, I have one example where I share a woman who sent a reply all email that was sarcastic, actually being happy about someone who got fired. Turns out she didn't send it to her three buddies at work. She sent it to the entire email chain of the company. Oh. And Monday morning, she got fired. So if you oh. didn't think this cost you before, it can cost you now. 
And what you're talking about on, this is on just a business level, but these are good rules to live by for the internet in general. And I feel that we've all had these growing pains of when Twitter first started, I'm sure there's a couple of futurists that understood what it would be. But for the most part, I'm just having like full on arguments with total strangers saying whatever you want. And we never realized the permanence of these things. And we've all had to pay for it in some way, whether it's a picture or something you said or something that was screen grabbed, you know? And I, I believe like we should all get a pass and then like start now, uh, now that we understand the machinations and all the pitfalls of it. We need a reset, I agree. But unfortunately it's not there. And so right. taking that like extra breath, like literally 10 seconds yes. Or you send that passive aggressive email back or you set, you know, splash out that reactive text and say, is this the best medium or should I pick up the phone? Uh, secondly, you know, do I need to sleep on this? Maybe like right. an overnight, rela- you know, calming down and then send a message, whether it's all these passive aggressive messages we see online or the fact that technology creates mass, we have no idea if someone's on the verge of tears versus really excited when they receive our message. So we have to be careful in a very different way. This is a fun exercise. If I ever get an email and I don't like the tone, I try reading it with a smile to see if it's possible. If they didn't mean it to be passive aggressive, because usually people don't, but definitely I'm really, I always have to remember like, take a breath, see if you're still angry in five minutes. Also folks, pretend you're in the mafia, pick up the phone. Like pick up the phone, don't send the text. Anybody- You want to talk shit on someone, great. Do it verbally. That way you can deny it later. Eliza, this is why we are elder, Jerry, Oregon, whatever you want to call (laughs) millennials, because we know the power of picking up the phone, but also when to use other channels. It also, I will tell you, people, it is impressive. Like when I pick up the phone and call people like, wow, she took the time to really speak to me. I think it makes people feel special and it really concentrates what it is that you're saying. Special. I think- it does. And it also depends on the person. So if it's a yeah. Gen Zer who's going to freak out if we call them, maybe what we have to do is just send a text. You know, can I call you at two or right. send a quick right. invite before? But if it's that, you know, digital immigrant who's just desperate to go back to the office and see everyone face to face, picking up the phone out of the blue is a blessing. How do you feel about FaceTime? And I ask that because do you remember when we were kids? Remember Inspector Gadget, how Penny had that book? that had like FaceTime in it. And that was the Jetsons. We all wanted this technology. And now people, I love FaceTime and people are like, you can't just FaceTime me. I'm like, you could just not answer. Why wouldn't I want to see your face? People are anti-FaceTime. I think a lot of it has to do with people hate looking at themselves on a camera. (laughs) And, And, you know, when we look at ourselves, we start to judge ourselves. We start to think we're, we don't look a certain way or we need to look a certain way. And it's kind of like overdressing or we need to get our makeup ready, especially for women. In fact, a Stanford study recently showed that Zoom fatigue is higher for women. And a lot sure. of it has to do with, this, uh, to do with the self-gazing at our own video versus looking right. at others. So I think what we need to do is fix FaceTime so that we can minimize our own camera and just see the other person. I think that would help. I, I'm a big fan of using FaceTime and we're becoming more informal with all these tools because we've spent a year. Like even the emoji in the corporate workplace was not normal in the past. Now everyone's using it, frankly. And right. similarly to FaceTime, I think if you have more power, you have the opportunity to set the standard for Mm -hmm. those that you work with. And when you do that, I think others will follow and mirror you. 
Absolutely. It all starts with number one. And as we're talking about FaceTime, because I'm watching you and I noticed that you're wearing like a cute collar too. I think it's a jacket and you've got like a background. And I'm thinking this woman like put on, you're not wearing a lot of makeup, but like got ready, looks nice, has earrings. And I'm like shaming myself because I'm like, think of like the press calls I've done. And I'm like in a baseball hat and like my pajamas. I'm like, I don't care. So You've def- now I'm like, I got to up my game. I got to wear a cute top. When you ask someone what language they took in school, usually it's like with an eye roll. They're like, mm, French. It's like, do you speak French? No, I don't use it. I feel like a lot of us had difficulties learning a language in school. Rosetta Stone is here to change that. It's available on desktop and it can be used as an app on your phone or your tablet. Rosetta Stone are trusted experts for more than 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with an intuitive process and you can pick up any language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. That's right. You might even fool some locals into thinking you're one of them. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. I headed to Mexico City for a little vacation, and I used Rosetta Stone to brush up on my Spanish. Just a few things, few verbs that I knew I had forgotten, and I was better. Mejor. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Ask Eliza Anything listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Eliza. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Eliza today. I do think there's something to be said for ordering something of quality and every once in a while getting a nice package in the mail with a product that you're going to own for a long time. Let me tell you about Bolin Branch's signature sheets because they're the perfect way to start upgrading your sleep, your room, the look of your room because they're designed to feel incredible for all sleepers. They are made with the finest 100% organic cotton. These sheets feel buttery soft yet super breathable and they're perfect for warmer summer months ahead. We have a house that we go to in the summer and I got all Bolin Branch sheets for the beds because we're having a lot of guests this year and I want them to feel like they're at a nice bed and breakfast that they didn't have to pay for. Bolin Branch sheets are free from toxins like synthetic pesticides, formaldehyde. I bet you didn't know that was in your sheets. And their signature sheets come in 14 versatile colors and they come in sizes from twin all the way up to California King. And Bolin Branch has a 30-night worry-free guarantee, which means you can wash, style, and sleep in their sheets for an entire month. And if you don't love them for any reason, you can send them right back with free returns on all U.S. orders. Sleep better with the softest, most breathable bedding from Bowl and Branch. Go to bowlandbranch.com slash Eliza for 15% off your first sheet set, plus free shipping. That's Bowl and Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com slash Eliza for 15% off. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Uh, you know, uh, Eliza, you got it going on, my sister, uh, my fellow <laughs> elder millennial. At, at the same time, um, what my research on digital body language shows is that similar to all of us making a first impression for someone face-to-face within the first seven milliseconds, we do make first impressions and judgments even yeah. on a video screen. And and again, there's a lot of privilege to this. We can't all have this perfect picturesque background. Mm. Uh, you know, I worked in a five by seven tiny room with a gray background right after I had my son last year right. during COVID doing presentations and, and meetings. And so let's stop judging people for this, but also in certain cases, know when to, let's call it dress up for the screen. Make an effort. It shows respect. You did that. And I was just like, oh, she cared. It, it does. It does signal that the other person showed up. They understand formality and respect like you talk about in your article. 
uh, that just being a trait of our Although generation. I really want to put on a t-shirt. I actually have a t-shirt right here. And this is like a costume, let's be honest, oh that God, I so throw funny. on before my calls. It's like my Zoom commute. I love that. You know what? There should be, you're meeting another person for the first time. You want to put your best face forward. Anonymous says, I'm not the most tech savvy geriatric millennial, but I'm painfully aware of the need to be in order to stay relevant in the corporate world. I've even taken on a brand new role to lead the digital transformation of my department. I work in marketing in the pharmaceutical world. What advice do you have for those of us desperately trying to hang on and make it during this digital revolution with Gen Z hot on our heels? I found a Gen Z mentor that literally is teaching me. Uh, you know, she had to teach me uh, a few years ago how to do an Instagram reel, how how to use TikTok effectively. Like I sucked at thinking about the phrases I would put on my TikTok. Uh, right. And so this is a time for really learning across difference, whether it's a Gen Z or whether it's someone who's Indian or Black, whether it's someone who's 70 years old and can remind us, you know, the power of the written word in a book yeah. and when to read a print book versus just reading on a screen. Mm-hmm. These are things we can learn from everyone. So I, I think the key is get comfortable being uncomfortable, find your Gen Z mentor, but also have like your baby boomer or your Gen X mentor as well. Yeah. And, and most importantly, just check your bias, be willing to learn what you don't know and ask for help. And again, if you're in a pharmaceutical company, I bet a lot of your, uh, you know, your customers, quote unquote, probably are a little bit on the older side. So mm-hmm. don't feel like you have to learn everything new if it if it isn't as important to your job. There's also nothing sadder than like a TikTok for a company that isn't cool. Like there's nothing sadder than a company like trying to like, hey guys, we're doing this dance. And you're like, I can get my paper anywhere. So I think it's like, yeah, I'm not sure it's needed for, for pharmaceutical companies. Let's be honest. No, they'll get to you one way or the other, but I totally hear you on that. Uh, BJ, the two, I am terrible at networking. What's the best way to connect with someone? Cause you were talking just now about make building those bridges and checking your bias. What's the best way to connect with someone that you haven't met? And once you've connected, how do you stay connected without a specific agenda? When it comes yeah. to building good connections, there are a few things that matter. First is simply know your audience. Now, this is obvious, but in a digital world, ask yourself, do you think this person is a digital native or a digital adapter? Remember that each digital channel can signal different things. So remember emails are like visual. We read them like websites. Get to the point quickly. Don't write this Mm -hmm. long prose. No one wants to read it. Use bold underline headings. Have a good subject title. People will actually value you. They'll think, okay, this person has their act together. Uh, You know, if you have a meeting, be on time, have a thoughtful agenda. These things seem silly, but they're actually table stakes. One other quick tip, if you want to create a good connection, especially in a first meeting, is send a quick email recap or note within 30 minutes of the meeting to Mm. that person. It's like the new virtual handshake. It makes sure everyone is on the same page. Uh, And if you want to renew that relationship over time, use the right channel. Like, is this an Instagram DMing person? Is this an email person? Is this a texting person? Is this a phone call out of the blue person? And then be thoughtful in what you offer to them. Don't just be like, let's talk. Be like, here's a thoughtful article that I read that would help you in your job. And it's great to reconnect. Right. When we give versus uh, ask for something, we get a lot more out of the relationship. I think that's true for everything, not just this conversation, but in general. Um, unless someone gives you a whole book, I'm always like, okay, that's a lot to do. A yeah. whole book? Yeah. Who are you? 
Who are you? Auntie, this one's a long one, but I think this is applicable. Auntie Mamew, love this podcast. I'm not surprised that Eliza has yet again brought in a fantastic guest who sheds light on critical matters that are relevant to modern society. I have yet to read the book, but I plan on doing so because it's so important to talk about generational differences. I'm a 40-year-old air traffic controller, and I work with a lot of younger people. Most are awesome and teach me fun stuff like how to order my... uh, like how I'm ordering my Starbucks incorrectly or into which crypto is best to invest. However, there are some that still have their mommies pay their speeding tickets and others who just don't understand the basics of reciprocity and teamwork. I realize that this isn't true of all quote unquote newborn millennials, more names, but I've always assumed that this phenomenon was simply due to the fact that people get into my field at a young age and don't get prior real world experience, real world work experience outside of the federal employment thus turning them into entitled babies. Seriously, it's a thing. But now I'm focused more on generational differences and how better we can get to these kids so that everybody works in general harmony. I realize that I'm not alone in witnessing this and I'm wondering what your take on intergeneration communication, especially between my older counterparts and those young whippersnappers when working in small environments where people work closely together in a small space all day long, especially between stubborn control freaks. Mahalo in advance. I know you sort of answered this before, but maybe some sort of recap reiteration. First off, don't call them kids. They're your employees. <laughs> They're your colleagues. And actually, when we use that language, we're more likely to just judge them even more. Mm, uh, and yeah. I've seen this. I've seen, uh, you know, a, a 22-year-old that will send a quick response email and, and the 50-year-old colleague will be like, how dare they not just call me uh, versus sending that email. But if they're peer sent that email, they wouldn't judge them the same way. So That's we tend to bias people based on this as well that we have to be careful of. Secondly, especially as leaders of teams, it's your job to remember what was implicit in traditional body language, the norms of being the first in, the last out. You have to make these explicit in digital body language. So if Great you want point. people to be on time, I'm sorry, but you got to say it. You got to make it explicit. These are the norms we expect send agendas in advance of the meeting, take summary notes, you know, be professional, actually talk about video backgrounds. And I know it feels like more work, but it can be helpful. I mean, I had to teach my Gen Z intern how to take voice voice messages for me when I wasn't in front of my phone. And let's be honest, it's annoying, but it's important. So stop assuming we're all the same. Don't get caught up. Don't call them kids and just set standards for communication that are in writing that you can go back to, to create that clarity across generations. That's great. Anonymous. I've been a listener since episode one and Wednesdays are the highlight of my week because of you two. Thank you. My question is this. I've recently started a new job. I'm 29 year old occupational therapist at a pediatric clinic, God's work. And I struggle a lot with being a perfectionist. Do you have just general advice on how to manage feelings of anxiety and imposter syndrome related to work? I wish I could fast forward a couple of years just so I could be automatically confident in this new role, but obviously that isn't healthy or realistic option. Thank you both. How do we navigate imposter Imposter syndrome? And feelings of anxiety related to work. I feel like this is universal. We've all felt it. The anxiety of uh, doing a good job, not knowing whether we did. Uh, And now in a digital setting, like if it's through an email and you just get a K period uh, when you stayed up all night to work on something for a colleague, it can be even more anxiety producing. Uh, My general rule of thumb here is uh, we have an opportunity to ask for feedback, uh, let check in on where you stand 
It can Mm -hmm. be really helpful to know if you're doing a great job versus a terrible job. And sometimes it's just that lack of feedback that is causing the fear and lack of confidence. Some people will say you're doing amazing and you'll completely think differently about what you've achieved. Secondly, with imposter syndrome, um, and again, this is to my ladies, we just gotta, we gotta fight through it. Um, There is so much bias that we've grown up with related to this. I mean, I grew up in an Indian immigrant family Um, My grandmother was married at the age of 15. She had no education and she had 20 children. So think about- Oh my God. Yeah, Eliza, yeah. Think about my ancestors. This is my grandmother. Oh my God. So think about that bias that I have to fight every day. And think about also how far we've come. Uh, This is our opportunity to pave the way. And the more that we fight it every day, the more we'll give permission for our daughters and granddaughters one day. I can't even imagine that, but maybe I'm getting that old. I'm thinking about that. <laughs> we, we, we actually have an opportunity to role model a different way. I'd like to also shed some light on this, just coming from the non-corporate side and just Hollywood. The term we're looking for here is fake it till you make it. Almost no one knows what's going on. So it's not about lying, but just say yes and just keep going until the wheels fall off because chances are, you're doing just fine and nobody knows that you're not doing a good job because they are fully insane. Maybe that's just here in Hollywood. All the guys are doing that anyway. That's half forever. Yeah, have you seen American Greed? Like, just go and see who calls you on it and you're probably doing fine. So this is another, so we're in the fun part where we're doing unrelated, just general advice, but this one does involve email, so I thought you might like it. Casey says... October of 2019, I got a strange email from a man in the middle of the night. I didn't know wishing me a happy birthday. It wasn't my birthday. After going full psycho internet sleuthing, I found out he has a granddaughter whose name is the exact same as mine, but the I and the E are switched in our last names. I found her on Instagram and sent a screenshot of the email to her. Since then, about once a month, I get an email from this cute grandpa intended for her. Typically, I ignore them, but I've been thinking, should I forward these or is that creepy? I can only assume the girl's email is the exact same as mine, except the easily mistakable misspellings of our last name. Of course you send them. Don't be a monster. What do you think? (laughs) Yeah, of course you send them. But you respond to him and say, you're sending it to the wrong person. Uh, Like, why wouldn't we just respond uh, versus keep forwarding? I think that would be a lot easier. And, you know, it's it's kind of almost creepy to keep allowing him to respond, letting him know that... Uh, he's sending it to the wrong person. Is this, a, as I'm reading this, I'm like, this feels like a Gen Z, like afraid of confrontation. You don't want to feel awkward. You did your due diligence and you figured out very intelligently like what the miscommunication was. Let the guy know unless you want to be part of their family, which I think you do. <laughs> I think you're yeah, liking the grandma. This grandma's. is getting creepy. <laughs> this is getting creepy. Okay, Anonymous. I have a crush on this guy at work. I know what you're thinking, but there's enough distance between our jobs that if it went bad, it wouldn't be a problem. I'm a pastry cook working the morning shift at a fine dining restaurant, and he's a server there working the evening shift. The question, I rarely get any FaceTime with him because of our different shifts and roles. So how do I show him I'm interested and or ask him out? Is it lame to send a, hey, want to get a drink sometime DM for context? We started following each other on Instagram and he has liked several of my photos and sent a couple of fire emoji reactions to some of my stories, which I have liked, but no messages so far. I think we're equally attractive. I know he's single and I've heard from a mutual friend that he's a really nice guy. Do I send him a DM or do I try to get the friend to set us up? Love the pod. Hot Scott. Super excited for the new movie. 
thoughts? This is such a, this is such like a, a generational question. I mean, I know my G, Gen Zer mentors really that are like DM, obvi. Um, obvi. And then <laughs> if I was talking to like maybe a 45 year old that I know, they'd be like, no, get someone to set you up. This is like the blind date setup or yeah. switch your switch your uh, cooking time to the evening so you can get to see him more. I mean, remember, <laughs> we didn't have social media uh, during our high school experiences beyond like basically cheesy AOL instant messenger. And, hey, and so, at the end of the day, I think be yeah. authentic to you, but you know, go for it, sister. DM. I'm, I'm with it all the way. What do you think, Eliza? I definitely think DM. I also think he, look, Men will move mountains if they like a girl. He would not be communicating with you if he thought you were ugly. They just don't. It's like no, the boy that pulled your pigtails not. in school. Yeah. Eliza, remember when Facebook came out in like 2003 or so? We were some of the earliest users. Often many of us were in college and it only had opened up to a few campuses outside of Harvard one of the things that you may remember is that poke signal. And that poke was like the new way to show that you wanted to hook up with someone mm -hmm. or get to know them or that you liked them. In many ways, outside of just the cheesy AOL instant messenger, we were able to showcase that we cared about someone and yeah. we wanted to go on a date. Now it's DMing. Now it's emojis. And so or get a super like. Or a super yeah. like. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You should definitely. And also this, it doesn't matter the generation or the time, this comes down to basic male-female behavior. He's not going to engage with you unless he wants something from you, like sexually. And that's not even a bad thing, but just boys do not take the time to bother you unless they're attracted to you, unless you're having like a political debate. But like he wouldn't bother. It's a little lame that he isn't just asking you out, but maybe he's shy. Maybe he doesn't know if you're into him. Throw out that DM and if he's lame, you better to know sooner rather than later. And, and on the reverse for all our guys, mm -hmm. if you are receiving messages from a guy that you don't want to actually engage with or have a relationship with, just don't respond and spam them or trash it immediately. There you go. There you go. Claire K. I'm a 28-year-old female graphic designer for a small university. I need some advice on how to tactfully share ideas with my boss. For example... I designed the layout of our homepage, but he keeps changing it without my input. And now it's really ugly. He only uses the same generic image for every single news article when it would be so simple to just go out and take a more appropriate photo. He's always stressed about something so he never has time. So nothing ever gets updated. As the graphic designer, I feel responsible for the aesthetics of our online presence. I would love to take more responsibility in this area so he doesn't have to worry about it. But when I've made suggestions before, he thought I was overly critical and asked me if I disliked him. Ugh, male ego. So I never said anything ever again. I feel like I can't grow in my position if I can't share my ideas. Oh, Erica, you're the perfect one for this. What do you think? I mean, first off, when people are being lame, they will stay lame. Uh, you know, this <laughs> sounds like a really difficult situation because you've already showed your initiative. Right. And your desire to actually learn and grow and improve and contribute. Um, but this is a person who is not allowing you to, to really contribute in a way that you'd like to. I think first and foremost, it would be healthy to have a conversation and try to get some feedback. Uh, and maybe authentically saying, you know, I noticed that you've been changing some of my designs regularly. Do you have any feedback on, on why you might be changing them so I can help 
uh, speed up our uh, the way that we're working together. Another example could just be having a quick session on how do you think I'm doing? What's working? What's not? And sometimes you'll realize something's going on that you have no idea about that's right. making them crazy. Yeah. And last but not least, if you're still not getting any feedback, if this person just has a huge ego or is not treating you well, just find another opportunity. Your gifts mm-hmm. are needed in the world and we we want to see them out there. There you go. I think people feel, especially women, like, oh my God, this is my job. I'm stuck. I've got to figure this out. I completely agree with you, Erica. And it's so tough because you're dealing with an older man and you're dealing with ego. He sounds bogged down and he sounds like a control freak. And what you're really saying when you're asking for feedback is, hey, in a very nice way, I'm saying, let me do my job, but I'm, you know, coating it in sugar so I don't upset you. And uh, it's not worth the headache if he's just going to keep putting the same Google image search of a blue jay behind every picture. So lame. So lame. Last question for this, anonymous. I've had this friend for 18 years, since high school. We fell out of touch when she judged some of my life decisions, but we've been trying to reconnect. I just bought a new house near her parents' house and she drops by when she sees me in my garage or checking my mail. Haven't seen her much during the pandemic. Not sure I want to. Ran into her with her new girlfriend and she actively avoided introducing us. Anywho, fast forward to a random comment on Facebook. I had posted to some page about kids getting piercings at the mall and that piercing guns are full of bacteria and that sort of thing. She responded, quoting the hangover, quote, but did you die? Besides that, this woman is a nurse and should care about preventing infection. This was blatantly rude. I inquired what she meant by that and she never got back to me. If some stranger had commented that, I wouldn't care, but this is a friend who seemed to be suggesting that something doesn't matter unless I'm on death's door. Once we can unmask and see folks again, would you bother with her? I mean, we've all been there where like friendships have just changed, especially when they become digital. And think about the fact that even certain BFFs pre-pandemic may not be our BFFs afterwards. I I think in a situation like this, read the room, read yeah. the virtual room. If you're getting just weird vibes from someone who was a good friend, you have one of two choices. Mm. Uh, call them and actually say, what's going on here? Like, you know, we're really close. I care about you. Is, is, do you, is something wrong? And, and if you feel like that's just not worth it, if you're getting consistent vibes, let it go. It's okay. Yeah. There's lots of other people in the world. Thank you, Erica. That is like the thing we talk about on this pod. Women always feel this need to like hold on to every oh. friend. Look, honestly, first of all, stay off Facebook and posting about random articles. Yeah. Second of all, I've been to a piercing pagoda. You're fine. It's fine. It's You're not going to get rubella from it. You're both wrong. You're both wrong. You shouldn't have commented with that. And she was, it was harmless. She's like, but did you die? She's right. You're probably not going to die. You're taking it too seriously. There was obviously a rift that happened and you guys just see things differently. So either air it out or keep your garage closed so she doesn't come by. She's also afraid to say that she's gay, I'm getting. Is that why she wouldn't introduce the girlfriend? Is that what's going on? That's a whole other thing. Yeah, that, 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 that's a whole another piece that I was very curious about. And yeah. um, it could also be very much related to this. I think she has a crush on you. That's what I think. I think she secretly that's has a crush on on. That's, that's why it's on. so lesbian passive aggressiveness. All right. So this is my favorite part of the show. It's called Top of the Cob. It's the top of the cob. We're doing it right every day. You just take a bite. Top of the cob. Do you have your top and bottom of the cob prepared, Erica? I do. 
Okay, great. Because literally no one ever does. And of course you do. And I just want to say you're incredibly stoic and prepared. And because there's a slight delay, every time I ask a question, I'm ready for you to be like, that is so dumb. I'm not answering it. But you have like the perfect (laughs) answer and you're so poised. Um, And I'm really enjoying this chat. So let's kick it off. Why don't we kick it off with your, let's start bottom so we can end on a a high note. What's your bottom of the cob, Erica? My bottom of the cob is that I hurt my ankle and I can't work out right now. And I'm going totally nuts. Yeah. It is just bothering the hell out of me. So like, I'm trying to do like arm exercises, but it just doesn't work. I need, uh, I need to like physically exert. So whatever I'll, I'll, I'll deal with it and hopefully get better soon. No, that is the most frustrating thing. Um, my bottom of the cob is I was trying to keep it digital um, for me because I wanted to honor you. I don't like bruh. I don't like it when Gen Z people or people say bruh. It really grosses uh, me out. Yeah. And it's too colloquial and you get girls doing it. They're like, bruh. And I'm like, you're not hard. Like, you're not a gangster. You're not a dude. It doesn't make you seem cool. It makes you sound like you're barking. And it's the quickest way to let me know that I don't, I, I probably won't like you. <laughs> it's just like the reverse where we judge someone if they still have an Earthlink or a Hotmail account and they're like yeah. older. <laughs> yeah. Like there's one side that's broad, the other side if they have an Earthlink or Hotmail account. Basically, whatever generation you are, you figured it out and everyone else is an idiot. But the bra, it's just, it's such an uneducated thing. I, just, I judge it and I hate it, but no one calls me bra. It's just me watching TikTok videos, which I probably shouldn't be watching. What is your top of the cob? Erica Dwan. My three-year-old learned how to put on pants by herself. I'm so excited. I'm so sick of putting on her pants. It's like so <laughs> much work. And I can't wait for her to just learn everything. Uh, yeah. Like how to get dressed fully. It will make my life easier. Jeans are hard when you have full dexterity as an adult. I can't imagine like little legs, little buttons, little zippers. That sounds difficult. Good for her. Absolutely little pants. Um, my top of the cob is I love, my assistant hates this. I love deleting an email. I love answering it, knowing I don't need to see it anymore. And it's my way of like checking off things on a checklist. I delete it and then I need it like two days later, but I love trashing an email. Beautiful. It's like, it's like therapeutic. It really is. You feel like you're moving forward in this world. Well, Erica, this was so much fun. I When I first heard the term, I was like, who is this woman? And then enough people said, and then I tagged you, like mini trolled you. And you were so pleasant when you wrote back. And I was like, okay, there's a chance that this is just another woman who's my same age and 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 lovely. And you have I, surpassed all expectations. Everybody loved writing in questions. Um, I hope we can be friends. Where do you live? New York City. Okay, Can't I'll be there. You. Let's meet up. I would love to meet up and I don't know your preferred mode of communication. We can, I think we're like a DM friend kind of thing at this yeah, point. Yeah, we're like a DM, but maybe text is coming soon. We'll get, we'll get closer and then start texting. Yeah, send me that number. Erica Dewan's award, she's an award-winning keynote speaker and author in her new book, Digital Body Language, How to Build Trust and Connection No Matter the Distance. And you should all check it out because you guys write me a lot of questions about work environments that I am really not qualified to answer. She's at Erica, D-H-A-W-A-N on Twitter. It's Erica with a C, not the Nordic spelling. And it's Erica Duan underscore on Instagram. Erica, 
Is there anything you want to add? Thank you so much, Eliza. Let's just keep rocking Elder Jerry, Ezekiel <laughs> Oregon. Let's be ourselves and let's use our superpowers in life. I love that message. Thank you so much, Erica. Thanks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.